Would you open up your mouth and worship the Lord for a moment? God, we love you. We magnify you, Jesus. We glorify you, God. You're great and greatly to be praised, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Well, welcome to the house of the Lord. And it's good to see all of you here. I pray you had a tremendous Thanksgiving. And uh, the holidays are upon us. It's just that time of year with coming and going, but we want to keep our minds focused on the Lord, and that's why we're here tonight, to lift up His name. As you're turning with me, I'd like to direct you to 1 Kings, 1 Kings chapter 17, and we'll go from chapter 17 to verse 18, and then I'll also be taking you to the book of Daniel, if you'd like to turn there as well. But while you're turning, I would like to wish my fiance and soon-to-be wife, Sister Taylor Banks, a very happy birthday. Yesterday was her birthday, and uh, I love her very much, and very, very happy that she's here. And uh, is it January yet? If we could just get there, that'd be great. But we're going to make it through the year, and, and uh, pastor said, is it Christmas yet? And, and it will be very soon. We'll blink our eyes, it'll be Christmas, and it'll be a new year. It's just moving that quickly. Um, but I feel a word of the Lord uh, that's been on my heart for a while. And um, I didn't feel a release to preach it until, until today. And so we're going to move uh, methodically here as you're standing uh, through a couple passages of Scripture. Beginning in 1 Kings 17 and verse number 2. We're going to skip around just a little bit for the sake of time. And this, of course is the introduction of the life and ministry of the great prophet Elijah, the Tishbite. Verse 2 says, And the word of the Lord came unto Elijah, saying, Get thee hence, and turn thee eastward, and hide thyself by the brook of Cherith, that is before Jordan. And it shall be that thou shalt drink of the brook, and I have commanded the ravens to feed thee there. Verse 7 and it came to pass after a while that the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. And the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, Arise, get thee to Zarephath, which belongeth to Zidon, and dwell there. Behold, I have commanded a widow woman there to sustain thee. And going to the next chapter, chapter 18 and verse number 17, I'd like to contrast... I'd like to contrast what we just read about the sustenance of the prophet of God, the true man of God, Elijah, and his lifestyle and what he was going through and contrast that with what we see in chapter 18, verse 17. And it came to pass when Ahab saw Elijah, that Ahab said unto him, Art thou he... That troubleth Israel. Isn't it amazing how true men of God are often considered troublemakers? True men of God are often considered troublemakers because when you speak the genuine word of the Lord, you're going to be in situations where you have no choice but to make people uncomfortable. When a man of God is unwilling to make people uncomfortable and tell them what they need to hear, and not just what they want to hear, 
he ceases to be a man of God. And so Ahab disliked Elijah and said, you're the one that troubles Israel. And Elijah answered, I have not troubled Israel, but thou, you, O king, and your father's house, in that ye have forsaken the commandments of the Lord, and thou hast followed Balaam. Now therefore send and gather to me all Israel unto Mount Carmel. And the prophets of Baal, 450. And the prophets of the groves, 400, which eat at Jezebel's table. So Ahab sent unto all the children of Israel and gathered the prophets together unto Mount Carmel. And then I'd like to take you to the book of Daniel. Daniel chapter 1. Daniel chapter 1 and verse number 5. This, of course, now is the beginning of the life and the ministry of the great prophet Daniel, who was carried away into captivity by King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon. And he was carried into Babylon. And there he was, essentially a prisoner of war. In verse 5, we see what happens in his life regarding his daily sustenance. And the king appointed unto them these prisoners, including Daniel and, of course, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego as well. He appointed them a daily provision of the king's meat and of the wine which he drank, so nourishing them three years, that at the end thereof they might stand before the king. Verse 8. But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's meat, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore he requested of the prince of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. And I'd like to preach today from this subject, eating at Jezebel's table. Eating at Jezebel's table. Put your Bibles down and lift up your hands and ask the Lord to open up your heart. You're going to have to think a little bit tonight. You're going to have to let the Lord work on you. God, I pray that your word would begin to penetrate our hearts. Lord, I pray that we could let our mind be focused on the word that you have for us tonight, that we could understand what it is that we need to do, where we need to position ourselves, how we need to conduct ourselves, what we should guard ourselves from. And I pray that you would help us during this season. We give you praise and glory. And everyone said in Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Thank you for standing. You can be seated. Eating at Jezebel's table. I'm struck by the contrast here that we just read, and I know it was a, a lot of scripture reading, but I wanted you to see from the scripture that we have the life and the ministry of Elijah bursting onto the scene, and, and here he is, uh, called of by God to go and hide himself by a brook, and he would receive his uh, sustenance from the brook, and God said, and, and, uh, and I'll send ravens to you, and you're going to receive meat from the ravens. And so for a long period of time, the man of God is being sustained by God in an uncomfortable environment. And as Brother Reese preached so well during our revival service, there was a point in time where the brook dried up, and God said, I want you to get up 
and leave this place. And I want you to go to Zarephath. And there's a widow woman there. and She's going to sustain you. She didn't even know that she was going to sustain him. But God knew the plan that he had. And we know that story. A beautiful story of a woman who gave the last that she had to the man of God. And God said, because you gave, I'm going to fill up what you have over and over again. You're never going to run out of bread. You're never going to run out of sustenance. Because you were willing to be a blessing to me. And so now I'm going to bless you. And then we jump into the ungodly, in fact, truly the demonic environment of the king and Ahab's household. And of course, we know that Ahab is most famous for being a wicked, wicked king. But not only is he famous, really his fame pales in comparison to the wickedness of his pagan wife, Jezebel. And he married a a woman who was not uh, of the lineage of the family of God. In fact, she was a pagan king's daughter. And she brought her pagan lifestyle with her into the king's palace. And it began to affect all of the nation. And we see that Ahab was was really, in spite of his own evil, he was also a weak man because he allowed Jezebel to influence him so greatly over and over again. And and her story is long and sordid and quite sad. But when we're contrasting, there are 850 prophets of Baal. If you look at the text closely, you'll see that really about 450 of those prophets were Jezebel's personal prophets. They were uh, prophets of the goddess of Ashtara, or what we sometimes think of as the goddess of Venus. This was a, a wicked female goddess who was connected to the male false god Baal. And if you study the worship of Astera or Venus, you'll know that this was a very sensual religion. So was Baalism. It was a very, uh, it was a very promiscuous religion. And many things were connected to this that really are alive and well today. They just go by different names. And these 850 prophets dined at Jezebel's table. Now, I understand that it doesn't necessarily mean that there was a table big enough to feed 850 prophets at the same time and that they were eating every day with Jezebel. What it does mean is that they were sustained by Jezebel. She provided for them financially. She provided for their needs. She made sure they had everything that they needed. Remember, this was a time of drought and it was a time of famine because God had closed up the heavens for a space of three years. The people were starving to death. Even Elijah was struggling. If it hadn't been for God's provision, Elijah would not have made it. But the prophets of Baal had everything that they needed, even in times of drought and famine, because Jezebel was going to make sure that they had food on the table, a roof over their head. This was a time where people were dying and starving and poor, 
But the prophets of Jezebel were blessed materialistically. And they had everything that they could want and everything that they could need. And I'd like to draw your attention to the spirit of Jezebel. What I consider to be the spirit of Jezebel. I believe that the spirit of Jezebel is alive and well today. We call it different things, but before we can begin to talk about it, we need to define how the spirit of Jezebel manifests itself. The spirit of Jezebel usurps authority, any authority, all authority, but especially it usurps apostolic in a New Testament era, apostolic authority. In the Old Testament era, it, it usurped any authority that would be in the name of the one true living God. The spirit of Jezebel manipulates weak yet powerful men. It specializes in vanity and sensuality. In fact, Jezebel is perhaps most famous for the reality that she painted her face. She's famous for the makeup that she wore. And the scripture expressly condemns the wearing of makeup for women because of, because of people like Jezebel and the spirit of vanity that's attached with the Jezebel spirit. The changing of who we are so that we can put on a mask, so to speak. And, and Jezebel would regularly change her mask and she'd be one thing one day and a different thing the next day. Anything but what God created her to be. That's the spirit of Jezebel. I want to be anything but what God created me to be. I don't want to look the way God created me. I don't want to be in submission the way God ordained me to be. It's the spirit of Jezebel. And it specializes in a sensuality that is used manipulatively to entice people to do what the spirit wants them to do. Jezebels are attracted to men of power like Ahab because they see in that union. It's not a union of love. It's not a union even of some kind of misguided affection. It is a union of power where Jezebel sees an opportunity to influence a godly nation towards idol worship. It's an invitation to do something, to destroy an institution. We see in the story of Naboth's vineyard, how many remember that it was Jezebel who pulled the strings secretly for Naboth to be murdered by Ahab. That's the spirit of Jezebel. Find a godly man. Find a good man. Find a family man. Find a traditional person and destroy it by any means necessary. Naboth's vineyard revealed the spiteful, murderous, and conniving nature of Jezebel. And yet the Jezebel spirit will not manifest itself that way publicly. It will only do these things privately. When you come into contact with a genuine Jezebel spirit, it will always put on a mask of kindness, a mask of beauty, a mask of friendliness. This is the Jezebel spirit. But behind the scenes, Jezebel is working to destroy families, traditions, nations, and godly institutions. 
Today, the spirit of Jezebel would like to destroy your family, your marriage, this church, churches around the world, around this country. Traditions like marriage being between one man and one woman. Traditions that God ordained and that God set into place. The spirit of Jezebel would like to destroy those traditions because she knows that if those traditions crumble, the structure of a nation and the structure of governments and the structure of churches and families begin to crumble along with those traditions and so she fights against it this is why Jezebel hates holiness so much because she knows that the spirit of God is a spirit of holiness she knows that holiness comes from the Holy Spirit itself and when you walk in holiness you have the spirit of God living inside of you and when you come into contact with the spirit of Jezebel and you're walking in holiness you're going to be able to recognize that spirit in ways that people who do not have the Holy Spirit are not able to recognize. Jezebel cannot fool a spirit-filled person. And spirit-filled people must walk spiritually. And to walk in the spirit, you must have a lifestyle of holiness. Or you're walking in something that is not the Holy Spirit. That'd be a good place for someone to say amen. A lot of people think they're walking in the spirit, but they're walking in ungodly lifestyles. And whatever spirit they think they're feeling, it is not the Holy Spirit. Let me just preach this for a moment. And I know y'all had turkey and so you're tired, but let me just say this. You know, you can speak in tongues and it does not necessarily mean that it is coming from God. I have seen people speak in tongues and slither on the floor like snakes and foam at the... I'm going to preach to somebody in a moment here. I've seen people literally slithering on the floor like snakes. In fact, I was in a service when I was a teenager. I'll never forget it because Brother Billy Cole had to get up to the pulpit and there was about 20 or 30 young people slithering on the floor like snakes, speaking in other tongues and hissing at the same time. I had the Holy Ghost and I kept backing away because I thought this is not the Holy Ghost that I know. And I'll never forget the man of God got behind the pulpit and he said, you just have to know Billy Cole. If any, he's passed on now, but if any of you remember his ministry, he was a, a big man and he had a loud, booming voice. And he looked down at those men slithering on the floor and he said, you are not speaking in holy tongues. You are speaking in unholy tongues and I rebuke it in Jesus' name. And when he rebuked them in Jesus' name, they began to foam at the mouth and all of a sudden the spirits began to be cast out of them why because unholy spirits will mimic and copy the holy spirit you can't be naive you need to understand that if you're going to walk in the holy ghost you're going to have to live a holy life the devil always copies what god is doing the devil doesn't have original ideas. All the devil can do is take something good that God did and pervert it to something evil. And so if he sees that God is filling people with the Holy Ghost, evidenced by speaking in other tongues, don't doubt for a minute that he'll start playing with that and perverting it and manipulating it. So just because someone speaks in tongues does not mean they have the Holy Ghost. 
That's why we have the gift of the discerning of spirits. And the spirit of Jezebel hates holiness because holiness recognizes the spirit of Jezebel immediately. When you walk in holiness and you're walking in the spirit, you can sense even though the mask is there and even though there's a smile on the face and even though it seems like everything should be fine, when you have the Holy Ghost, you just know something's not right. Something doesn't feel good. What happened to Naboth anyway? Why does Ahab have his vineyard? How did that happen? When you're walking in the spirit, You have those warning signs in the spirit. But here's where many people are confused. The spirit of Jezebel is not the spirit of atheism. Everybody okay? It's not the spirit that denies the existence of a God or gods. In fact, oftentimes we think that it's people who reject any form of God who are the most dangerous Let me just pause and say the most dangerous things for apostolics are things that appear to be religious, but in fact, they are demonic. And the spirit of Jezebel is an extremely religious spirit. Everybody all right? The spirit of Jezebel will talk to you about God. The spirit of Jezebel loves religious things. The spirit of Jezebel brings prophets into its midst. 850 prophets. Think about this for a moment. She was willing and Ahab was willing to provide for 850 prophets So that they could go to the groves and to the places of worship out in the high places. They would would build these groves and put altars there to Ashtoreth and to Baal. And and they would worship and they would prophesy and they would teach Baalism to the people. And they would teach perversion to the people. But I want you to understand that they never presented it as demonic. They never presented it as something that was dangerous. They presented it as something that was wonderful. We don't know the history of these 850 men, but no doubt some of these men used to be prophets of the one true living God. But somewhere they made up their mind. I would rather have an easy time at Jezebel's table than I would having to sit by a brook with Elijah. And so they said, I will prostitute my ministry so that I can eat at Jezebel's table. I'll prostitute the word of God for a little gain and a little pleasure and a little ease. And make no mistake, that spirit is alive and well today. And sometimes it presents itself as Christian. And sometimes it even presents itself as apostolic. And sometimes it even speaks in tongues. And sometimes it preaches on TV. But the true people of God need to reject Jezebel's table and say, we don't want any part of it. If I have to eat at a brook, if I have to wait for ravens to come, if I have to be hungry, if I have to fast, if I have to move to Zarephath, whatever I've got to do, I will not go to Jezebel's table. 
We don't know. I wish I knew the stories of these 850 so-called prophets who prophesied in the names of false gods, who led people to hell, who led people to error, who led people to perversion. They destroyed homes. They led children into homosexuality. I'm about to preach to you for just a moment about what Baalism is. By the way, the spirit of homosexuality is connected to the spirit of Jezebel and Baalism and Venus because all of that was tied in to their religious worship. There were sexual perversions that were tied into the worship of Baal and the worship of Venus, and those same perversions are now mainstream in the United States of America today. And the church needs to wake up and stop falling asleep. It is nothing more than an ancient spirit that has rebranded and renamed itself, and it's running rampant through churches and homes and families and cities. And I wish an apostolic would get up and get mad at the devil and say, we refuse to dine at Jezebel's table. We refuse to eat her delicacies. We refuse to do what she's doing. I would rather preach in a storefront by myself than to eat at Jezebel's table and have all the wealth in this world. You can be seated. And so these 850 prophets were men who would rather be able to have unchecked appetites. Are you listening to me? The prophets of Baal were able to eat what they wanted, when they wanted, where they wanted. They were able to do what they wanted, whenever they wanted, wherever they wanted. There was nothing withheld from them because they had the power of Ahab and Jezebel behind them. If they wanted to live an immoral lifestyle, they just called it the new morality and did whatever they wanted to do. If they wanted to do something perverted and wicked and ungodly, rather than calling it wickedness, they rebranded it as religious and they were able to feed their carnal fleshly appetites. This is the spirit that Jezebel promotes. She encourages men to go ahead and leave their ungodly appetites unchecked. In other words, it's the spirit that says... Do whatever you feel like doing. If your heart tells you to do it, it must be right. Because, of course, our feelings never lie. Did you know that's the mantra of our world today? Follow your heart. Because the most reliable thing you have in this world is your heart. Do what you feel like doing. Because your appetites guide you. And your appetites will never lead you astray. But, my friend, this is not the word of God. And it's not the spirit of God. 
God. The Spirit of God came to Elijah. The Word of the Lord came to the man of God and said, go by a brook where you've just got a little trickle of water and you're going to have to curb your fleshly appetites. You're not going to be able to eat just whenever you want to eat, Elijah. You're going to have to wait for ravens to come. You're not going to be able to drink whatever you want to drink whenever you want to drink it. You're going to have to lean on me and rely on me, Elijah. In fact, when that runs out, you're going to have to go somewhere else and you're not going to get to decide if it's going to be a steak dinner. In fact, it's just going to be some bread, but you're going to be thankful for that bread because it came to you from the hands of a mother who gave you her very last meal. And I want you to know, Elijah, if you will curb your appetites and follow after me, I will bless you over and over and over and over and over again. But you're not going to be able to do whatever you want, whenever you want, wherever you want. The spirit of Jezebel says, dress how you want to dress. If you're immodest, that's okay. Just follow your heart. The spirit of Jezebel says, if you hate something, destroy it. The spirit of Jezebel says, if you don't like what the man of God is saying, destroy the man of God. The spirit of Jezebel says, if a nation is too religious towards the one true God who actually has a set of holiness regulations, rebel against that status and begin to bring idolatry into the midst and tear it down from within. By the way, the spirit of Jezebel will always try to infiltrate and destroy from within. That's why you need to guard your homes and guard your house and guard your family and guard your church and guard your city because the spirit of Jezebel will not announce itself as an evil spirit it will slip into your life and try to manipulate you silently if you evaluate the voices in your life and you realize that there are voices that are pulling you away from holiness voices that are pulling you away from the man of God the voice of God from the things of God tearing down traditions and values that you once held dear from the word of God you need to begin to pray because a Jezebel spirit is working in your life and working in your mind and it's time for the church to begin rebuking this spirit and we can only rebuke it if we first recognize it it's a religious spirit Oh, you've never met anyone more spiritual than a Jezebel. (laughs) They love the Lord. The Lord. Whatever Lord it is, they love the Lord. They love church. They love worship. Oh, they love worship. By the way, you have to be careful with the Jezebel spirit because a Jezebel spirit will feign worship, but oftentimes... It is really a sensual movement. How many understand that I believe in dancing before the Lord and worshiping exuberantly? I believe in clapping our hands. I believe in shouting with a voice of triumph. I think we ought to move in the presence of God. I think the scripture demands that we do it, and I think we ought to do it. But a Jezebel spirit doesn't just worship enthusiastically. There is a sensual nature to the worship, and it is not a holy worship unto the Lord. Some of you all know what I'm talking about. Your spirit will not bear witness with this kind of worship because it is a sensual worship that draws attention to itself. 
By the way, if you're worshiping to draw attention to yourself, then you are not in the spirit. Your worship should draw attention to God, not to yourself. The moment you're trying to draw attention to your body or to something that you're doing, you are now out of the spirit and you're out of order. When you worship, you're drawing attention to God. You're lifting up the name of Jesus. I'm not lifting up the name of Ryan Anthony French. I'm lifting up the name of Jesus. And if I'm doing something that is drawing attention to me, then I am out of order. But the spirit of Jezebel loves to worship, but in reality, it's just drawing attention to itself. It's a spirit of vanity and pride and ego. It's incredibly dangerous, and it loves to slip into churches. It loves to talk about spiritual things, but it will always turn the conversation against righteousness. Jezebel will talk about righteousness with you, but eventually she's going to begin to turn that conversation towards unrighteousness. But the Spirit of God calls us to deny our flesh. When said deny, we have scripture that says to pick up your cross every day and deny your flesh. Paul said, I'm crucified daily, for I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. What is he talking about? He's talking about the appetites of the flesh. We don't indulge every whim of our flesh and of our mind. When we do that, we are now in alignment with the spirit of idolatry. It is an idolatrous spirit that says... I will fulfill every whim and desire that I have. A godly spirit says, I am not going to fulfill every appetite that I have in my life. Anybody know what I'm talking about today? There's things that I won't drink. For example, this is why we understand as Christians, we don't do drugs. We don't drink alcohol. We don't smoke. We don't dress in ways that are immodest and draw attention to our bodies and sexuality. Why? Because we're denying the appetites of our flesh. It is a fleshly desire to lust and as children of God we say I'm not going to feed that appetite at Jezebel's table instead I'm going to deny my flesh and I'm going to get over to the brook that God called me to and I'm going to drink of the living water that he keeps giving me and I'm going to keep waiting on the bread from the word of God and I'm going to say Lord I'm not going to just partake of anything I feel like partaking of I'm not just going to do anything that I feel like doing. Just because the world is painting itself like Jezebel doesn't mean the church should be painting itself like Jezebel. Just because the world crusts itself in jewels like Jezebel doesn't mean the church should be crusting itself in jewels like Jezebel. Just because the world will go to the beach with no clothes on doesn't mean the church should go to the beach with no clothes on. Just because the world is listening to music full of cursing and sexuality and drunkenness and divorce and hatred doesn't mean the church should be listening to this kind of music. It's the spirit of Jezebel and it pulls on people. It's a spirit that says, I'll do anything and try anything except what God wants me to do and try. It's a dangerous spirit. 250 years later, 250 years later, roughly, depending on who you ask. We come to the story in the ministry of the great prophet Daniel. And Daniel 
was in a different position than even Elijah because Daniel wasn't even in his own homeland. He was carried into captivity and he was brought by a pagan king to a pagan land. And really, Nebuchadnezzar was... Uh, it's kind of amazing. He didn't have these particular ones killed because they were the best and the brightest. And he said, I can, I can take from the best of these people. And this was a common practice with the Babylonians. They would kill everybody except the ones that they thought could be a benefit to them. And so he kept many of them alive, including Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who we know from the fiery furnace. And as they come into this new lifestyle of captivity, the king, really thinking that he was doing something that was good for them, said, you're going to eat at my table. You're going you're gonna to eat what I eat. You're going to drink what I drink. You're going to wear what I wear. I'm going to give you the benefits of being in my court. I'm going to give you all the blessings of being a part of my entourage. And Daniel, under the inspiration of God, recognized that he was under a covenant with God that he would not eat anything that he wanted to eat. Remember, under the Old Testament Mosaic and Levitical law, there were all kinds of meats that they couldn't eat and foods that they couldn't even touch and drinks that they wouldn't even drink. And just because Daniel was in a pagan land didn't mean that he was a pagan in his heart. And so he beseeched the king and he said, I, I'm asking you, don't let me eat your meat. I've decided I'm not going to eat the king's meat. I'm not going to wear what the king wants me to wear i'm not going to drink what the king wants me to drink i want to be true to who i am in my covenant with god and this is where i believe that we are as an apostolic movement today some of y'all are too sleepy to hear what i'm preaching to you this is where we are as a movement today including this church everyone in this room has to make a decision. We are strangers stranded in a strange land. How many recognize that this world is not your home? We're only passing through. My treasures are laid up in heaven. My home is not Hampton, Georgia. My home is heaven. And so I'm just a pilgrim passing through. I, I, in fact... More and more, when I look around at the, at the world that we live in, I feel like a stranger. Do you ever just go somewhere and just think, this doesn't feel like home to me. This doesn't feel right. My spirit doesn't feel, this isn't where I'm supposed to be. I'm supposed to be in the presence of the Lord. But here I am. I'm, I feel like I'm in Babylon right now. And I, and I feel like everywhere I look, there's a Jezebel over there. And there, there's a Nebuchadnezzar over there. And there's a fiery furnace over there in the Middle East. And there's something happening over there. And, and I just don't feel at home. And yet there's a pull because where we live now as an apostolic movement, there was a day when the church was first formed, the early apostolic movement, where we were very, very outcast from society. Everybody hated the tongue talkers. Anybody know what I'm talking about? We were considered absolutely strange. But, you know, now all the Jezebels speak in tongues. Hello? In fact, there was a day that people fought tooth and nail over baptism in Jesus' name or baptism in the titles, Father, Son, the Holy Ghost, and Pastor. I know people still do, but, you know, most of the people I talk to now, they don't care. Baptize in Jesus' name. Baptize in the name of the Father, Son, the Holy Ghost. We'll baptize you any way you want to be baptized. 
You can go to lots of churches all over Atlanta, and they'll baptize you any way you want to be baptized. You just tell them. They have it your way. It's like Burger King. Just whatever you feel like doing, just, just order it up, and we'll baptize you that way. If you want to be sprinkled, we'll sprinkle you. If you want to be dunked, we'll dunk you. If you want us to pour pickle juice on you, that's fine too. We're just going to do it. Whatever makes you feel good, man. That's what they'll do now. It's the spirit of the age, and they don't care. In fact, I have people all the time, they say, I don't care that you baptize in Jesus' name. That's great, as long as you don't have a problem with me baptizing in the titles. It's the spirit of Babylon. It's the spirit that says, you do your thing and I'll do mine. But in the end, though, they're fine with how we live. In fact, they're even fine with us being countercultural in our dress and our holiness. Because, by the way, have you been to the mall lately? There's all kinds of weird countercultural people out there. And, and apostolics need to stop having this stigma about their holiness where you feel strange or weird or where you think that I look different than everybody, so I'm uncomfortable. Everybody looks different than Have you been to the mall? Just look at some of the strange things people are doing. Don't you dare ask me to feel uncomfortable about my holiness. I see people doing stuff that absolutely blows my mind, and they don't care what you think, and they don't care what I think, and they don't care what anybody else thinks. Listen, I, I've, been to, I've been in environments where people were absolutely losing their minds uh, completely drunk to the point of staggering all over. I was at a place one time, and, and I saw a guy. He got so drunk that his pants fell off. He didn't care one bit. I was at a hotel. I saw him the next morning. I was walking through the lobby. I was on my way to preach a revival. It was a Saturday night. Came in staggering drunk. He's walking through the lobby. All kinds of people. His pants fall off. And he just laughs and pulls him up and walks up. I saw him the next morning while I was leaving to go to church. And he just looked at me. And I said, hey, are you okay? You were a little messed up last night. He said, oh, yeah, wasn't that great? He wasn't embarrassed in the slide. And the devil wants me to be embarrassed about my holiness? God forbid. I am not ashamed. I refuse to be ashamed. And you shouldn't be ashamed either. You've got people. Listen, I'm not trying to be hard on anybody. If you've got tattoos, I'm not trying to be mean to you. But you've got people now. They're putting tattoos down their forehead, down their nose, and down their neck, and down their arms, and everywhere. The new thing is they're branding tattoos. They're not, they're not you know, whatever they do. They're not burning them anymore. They brand it with a hot iron, and it literally burns the skin, and it leaves a scar. It's not even colored. It's just a scar. And they walk around proudly. I see it all the time now. They're not ashamed. Don't you dare ask. Ask me to be ashamed of holiness just because I won't walk around naked, just because I won't show my body, just because I refuse to be sensual and lustful in my attire, just because I won't put earrings on, just because I won't let somebody write on my face. I'm not going to be ashamed of that, and you shouldn't be either. But the spirit of Babylon, but the spirit of Jezebel and the spirit of Babylon. They will say things to you like, well, you're okay, but we still want you to eat at our table. You, you can, listen, Daniel, you can pray on your own time. This is the spirit. I'm preaching to somebody right now. You can pray, but when you're at work, you've got to eat at the king's table. When, when you're at work, you, you can just dress like the rest of us. Now, when you go home, you can be apostolic. That's fine. And we, have, we, In fact, we respect it. We kind of like it. But when you're at work, you've got to 
do like we're doing. I'm helping somebody right now. When you're at school, when you're at school, you know, you just just be like the Babylonian, dress like them, listen to what they listen to, do what they're doing. Just go ahead. When you're at school, that's fine. But when you're but when you're out of school, you can live you can live you know, the way that your God wants you to live. But when you're here, you've got to eat at the king's table. I'm helping somebody right now. And that's what some people have been doing all across the apostolic movement. And it's time for us to call it what it is. It's the spirit of Jezebel and the spirit of Babylon that has come together. It's destroying lives. Nebuchadnezzar doesn't care what you do on Sunday. The devil doesn't care if you dress holy on Sunday, huck a buck on Sunday, weep in the altar on Sunday, as long as you eat at the king's table on Monday. And that's what some people are doing. You're eating at the king's table all week long, and then you get to the house of God. You come to the king of kings and the Lord of lords, and you say, Lord, I know I've been working for Nebuchadnezzar all week, but now I want you to bless me. It doesn't work that way. You've got to refuse to eat of the king's meat. Make up your mind. I'm not eating at Jezebel table. I'm not dining on Nebuchadnezzar's wine. I refuse to do it. This is, this is, now I know I'm preaching Old Testament, but I'm preaching a New Testament message. This is the very spirit that the New Testament apostolic church is warring against. In fact, we are in an epic battle for our identity and our very lives. I believe that the church is in a battle for its soul, its literal salvation, because we have a whole generation of millennials like me who believe that they can be saved and right with the king of kings while they're eating the king's meat down here. And you need to understand it doesn't work that way with God. If you want to be delivered from fiery furnaces, you better stay away from the king's table. If you want the mouth of the lions to be shut up, you better stay away from the king's table. If you want to see miracles, signs, and wonders, you better stop drinking the king's wine. And you better get the new wine of the Holy Ghost flowing in your life. This is the battle that we're in. This is the battle that we're in. It's a battle for our identity. This is why holiness is under such attack, even from within the church. And I'm going to be very candid. It's a Sunday night. We don't have a very big crowd tonight. But you can tell everybody that you know. Tell them Brother Ryan said this. You, you have had conversations, even in this church with other church people, where holiness is under attack. Do you know what that is? That is the spirit of Jezebel trying to divide. I'm not talking about sincere people who are talking about scripture. We should study to show ourselves approved. Amen. We should study to show ourselves approved. But I'm talking about a spirit. The spirit of Jezebel doesn't care what the scripture says. The spirit of Jezebel will only listen to the scripture long enough to try to to distort it and quote it back to you. Remember, when Satan came to Jesus in the wilderness, he came quoting scripture. You need to be careful. You need to be very, very careful. The devil will destroy. Jezebel will talk scripture, but she will always distort it back to you. 
And this is the identity that we're fighting. This is why holiness is under such tremendous attack, even in our churches today, because it's a battle for our soul. It's a battle for our identity. And by the way, it's not going to stop with just ladies not cutting their hair and jewelry and makeup. It's not going to stop with just tearing down families. No, it's going to move right on to water baptism in Jesus' name. It's going to keep right on going. People are already arguing whether or not you need the Holy Ghost in order to be saved. It's a full-on attack against the Bible and the Word of God and it's nothing but an old demonic spirit reimagined and now loose in the world today and most people don't even know what they're dealing with I know I have people who call me this next week I have people who text me and say that's pretty old-fashioned preaching you know why they look at this as old-fashioned because they view the Bible as irrelevant they don't even think you can preach from the Old Testament anymore but I want every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God I want the whole truth and nothing but the truth I want the entirety of the Word of God I'm not just gonna cherry-pick my favorite scriptures to make myself feel better no I want everything that God has for me and this is the battle that we're waging today in our own spirits, in your own homes, in your own minds. Some of you are battling this spirit in your mind because probably everyone in this room has been in contact with a Jezebel spirit. And you have to decide, every one of you has to decide, am I going to eat at the king's table? Am I going to dine at Jezebel's table? Or am I going to refuse and be what God is calling me to be? I know sometimes it's hard. Listen, I'm not minimizing. Let me be, let me be compassionate for a moment here. I understand that oftentimes God calls us to do extremely difficult things, or at least they seem extremely difficult at the beginning. When Jesus came to Peter, James, and John, and he said, put down your nets and follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. That sounds incredibly adventurous and exciting to us today, but imagine if it was you, and Jesus just walked up to you and said, I want you to quit your job. I want you to leave your home. You're going to have to kiss your wife and kids goodbye, because you're going to be on the road with me full-time no cell phones no horses no cars it's going to be traveling around the countryside with me we're going to be coming and going we're not even sure where our money's going to come from we're not sure where our food's going to come from and you in that split second you have to make up your mind am i going to leave everything and follow jesus when god speaks to you and says i i want you to reject jezebel's table and i want you to go and hide by a brook that's hard isn't it and so I understand when God, when God pricks someone's heart and says, I, I want you to stop dressing the way you used to dress. Well, Lord, people are going to think I'm strange. Yes. Yes, people are going to wonder, why are you changing? When God speaks to you and says, you know, I, 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 you, you need to stop drinking alcohol. That, yes, that, but that's going to be hard, Lord. Yes, it's going to be a lifestyle change. Everybody Okay. God wants me to put the cigarettes away. That, that's going to be hard, isn't it? Yes, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be hard. Yeah, it's going to be a lifestyle change. Yeah. You mean God doesn't want me to wear shorts? No. No. That, that's going to be different. What if, I, what if I get hot? Well, you might get hot sometimes. You know, it's amazing to me. People are so committed to being immodest that, you know, the, the argument that I always hear for shorts from men and by the way, it's always that, well, I can wear it longer than my kneecap like women do dresses. Well, the problem is you never do. I always see your, your, I always see your whole leg because y'all don't sit like ladies. 
You sit all spread out, and then we have to see your whole thigh. Y'all okay? Can we preach for real for a minute here? So y'all sit like men, and we have to see your whole hairy thigh. The problem is, if you're going to be modest, you have to sit like a lady, and now you're in a whole new world of pain. So you got two options. You either sit like a man and be immodest, or you sit like a lady and you have a whole new problem with God. Everybody okay? So the argument that I hear all the time is, well, you know, it's because I'm hot in the summer, you know. It just gets so hot. You know? Oh, God, help us, Lord. It's so hot. I got to wear. The only, the, only, the only thing that will keep me from being hot in the summer is shorts. Nothing else. Nothing else in this world. And then the wintertime comes, and it's 20 below zero, and I still see them out there in their shorts. Do you know what that is? That is commitment to immodesty. Hello. Do you know the world is more committed to immodesty than the church is to modesty sometimes? The world will be immodest when it is inconvenient to be immodest. They will be immodest just because they want to be immodest. You know, modesty makes sense most of the time. But the world doesn't want to be modest. So they'll, but what they'd like to make us feel uncomfortable because we believe in modesty. I refuse to do it. I'm not going to be uncomfortable because God calls us to modesty. But some of you are having to make up your mind. Am I going to be what God wants me to be all the time? Or will I just pick a little bit at Jezebel's table? Maybe just a little. See, this is, this is the decision people are making. Maybe just a little. When I hang out with my friends, you know, who hang out with Jezebel, you know, just kind of, just a taste. Hello. You know, my work friends, my ungodly friends. And then you tell yourself, well, I'm witnessing to him. No, what you're doing is you're eating at Jezebel's table. Go back and look. They've influenced you more than you've influenced them. Be honest with yourself. This is the battle we're fighting in our spirits, in our hearts. We have to decide. Am I going to reject the things of this world? Even though it's often uncomfortable. Did you know God didn't call us to comfort in this world? Did you know that? God didn't call us to ease. He called us to deny our flesh. But here's the beautiful thing. When you reject the king's meat and you run from Jezebel's table, you will now enter into the realm of the miraculous where God will begin to provide for you in ways that you never thought were possible. God will begin to give you things in the middle of wilderness moments. Elijah had an angel of the Lord. He was starving. He had been running. He was weary. He was depressed because Jezebel was chasing him and he could barely stay awake. And an angel of the Lord showed up and said, let me give you some bread. This is what God will do for you. You're going to start having encounters with angels when you say, I'm going to reject the king's meat. I'm going to reject Jezebel's table. You're going to have provision come from places you never thought possible. 
possible. Blessings are going to flow from places you never thought possible. You're going to have power in the spirit that you never thought was possible. Do you know why so many of our churches and preachers don't have any authority in the spirit? Because they're eating at Jezebel's table and also trying to have the blessings of God. You can't have both at the same time. If you want to lay hands on the sick and see them recover, you're going to have to reject the things of this world. If you want to feel the spirit of God, stand with me. You're going to have to reject the things of this world. The pleasures of sin are only for a season. But the things of God are for eternity. I think that's one of the reasons I I wish I had time to parallel in. But it's one of the reasons why there's going to be a a marriage supper of the lamb. (laughs) Because God is preparing a heavenly feast for us. A provision for us that will sustain us not only physically because we won't be physical beings. We'll be spiritual beings. But we'll bring a supernatural joy to our lives such as we have never experienced in this world. And so the Christian mind understands. The the Christian that's walking in the spirit understands that the things of God are bigger than the things of this world. So I don't feed my appetites in the here and now. I want God to sustain me here. And God has something for me in glory that is bigger than what I could ever experience in this world. This is what it means to be a child of God. We're not living for the things of this world. We're living for the hope of glory with God. Here's what I'd like us to do. I'd like us to lift our hands all across the sanctuary, and I want us to pray. And I want us to pray that God would give us a strength to win the war against the spirits that are coming against the modern-day church. Could we do that right now? I want you to pray that God...